Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jettikin. Let's start out the show by thanking our lovely patrons. They donated over at patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. This week we had Mia, Whitney, Alex, Lauren, Liz, Lizzie, Nick, Amber, Sarah, Molly, Mary, Alyssa, Shay, Nicola, Toby, Veronese, Kathleen, and that's it. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Please, I don't feel good right now. I feel like I'm coming down with something. It's okay. My face is on fire. Can I say what you did? Yeah. Desi had some... Um, she she went to a med spa and had some really invasive an invasive facial. Well, not invasive. It's a, a she, little more extreme. It's like an ex, she had an extreme facial that turned her face into strawberry jam. <laughs> but it's going to look gorgeous in a few days. Yes. So, yeah. but you know what? The show goes on. <laughs> <laughs> it's no pasta tour of Italy, but it is nice. Okay. So, Desi, sometimes we get questions from our listeners, we have in the past at least, about certain cases we have done that are difficult for us to cut, to do for whatever reason. You never seem to have a problem with it, so fuck you. But sometimes <laughs> I do, because it was so emotionally taxing. Like, the whole thing, not only that, but like... I spent more time researching this case and reading material for this case than I normally do, which is like I normally do a lot. Right. But this was like, this guy's story is just like, there are so many aspects to it. And it was so hard not to go down several rabbit holes. That being said, this is our all Manson August. However, we're not going to be talking about the Manson case in depth. Yeah, we're doing like Manson adjacent stuff. We're not. So talking- you should listen to these episodes if yeah. you think it's Manson. I don't know. You're probably not listening to this. That's why. I- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm just saying you're going to miss some interesting cases. Yeah, because we're not talking about the Manson case. We're just talking about things adjacent to. Yeah. That are so. Related, if it wasn't clear, tangentially. Yeah. yeah. Okay. With that being said, this week we are talking about Roman Polanski. Now, Romans had a pretty. I would say wild life. Yes. In terms of he's had from the get-go. From the beginning of his life, it has there has been a lot and we will get to that right now. And I'm excited. Okay. Now Roman Polanski was born August 18th, 1933 in Paris, France. His father, Rizijard, was a Polish Jew and his mother Beulah was half Jewish but raised Roman Catholic. When Roman was three, the family moved to Krakow, Poland. And a quote from Roman later, he said, not the best decision. Hmm. And I, yeah. when I read that, I was like, yeah, that's what I thought. An that's what I said, too. I was like, that sounds like a horrible decision. Now, by 1939, the Germans had invaded Poland. Roman and his family and thousands of Polish Jews were moved to what became known as the Krakow Ghetto. 
At this time, all Jewish children were removed from school. The adults were forced to wear armbands signifying that they were Jews. The neighborhood was confined with barbed wire and a brick wall, and Roman witnessed firsthand an elderly Jewish woman being shot in the street by an SS officer. And soon, the Jews in the ghetto were all being rounded up. Now, much of Roman Polanski's 2002 film, The Pianist, was based on his experience living in this ghetto. Right. Did you see that movie? I did see it, but I, I haven't seen it since it came out. Right. Um, But yeah, I mean, I liked it. I haven't seen it. I can't watch Holocaust movies. Okay. Yeah. Um, But I'm sure it's amazing. Yeah. I'm sure it's great. And Adrian Brody, he won the Oscar for that. He's really good in that, but he did become an annoying person. He did? (laughs) Well, I remember when he won for that, he kissed Halle Berry. Oh, It sort of was like icky. Yeah. I I mean, I realized that that was a long time ago. But it was definitely like one of those moments where like, that's kind of gross. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I don't know. And then he kind of just became corny. I don't know. Like, you Where know, has he gone? I don't know. It's funny. There's like a, I feel like there's a lot of times these actors kind of win for these roles and then you just never hear from them again or they become kind of corny. Like, like kind of like Br- Roberto Benigni. Yeah, yeah. And that was a pretty similar. No, he, that guy was extra. I remember that. No, I meant he like won around the same time. It was 97. Yeah, it was like a few years I remember because I was 11 <clears throat> watching the Academy Awards laughing my fucking ass off when this guy won Best Actor because he was jumping on the fucking chairs. Right. It was over the top. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I didn't mean it was similar um, reactions. I meant like they won around the same time. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, a few years uh, apart. Yeah, but they were also both in Holocaust films. Right. And Life they both, is beautiful. That movie is terrible, by the way. It is? I don't like that movie. I never saw it. That's one of those movies I might have liked somewhat when I saw it, and then afterwards it became corny because he became such a joke, Roberto. Right. Like it was so you can't like, even watch it without thinking. Yeah, about that. I think once you realized he was kind of like a comedian, <laughs> I don't know. Like it just kind of, I don't know. Right, but yeah, I did like the pianist. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll probably watch it eventually. I just I I have such a hard time watching Nazi shit. Yeah. Uh, okay, so. Now, when the ghettos in Krakow were liquidated and Jews were being taken to the concentration camps and the death camps, Roman lost his childhood friend, Pavel. And he had this to say. He said that it was the first time that he had ever had a broken heart. Mm. Yeah. Uh, pretty heartbreaking Did stuff. they say why, how he lost him? Like, what happened? He just... He was murdered by oh, an SS was, officer. Okay. Yeah. Or he was taken away. Right. He was taken. Uh, so both of Roman's parents, as well as his half-sister, were taken to the camps. Jesus. His mother, who was pregnant at the time, was murdered in the camp Ooh. shortly after she was taken away. And Roman watched as his father was apprehended by the SS and forced to march in a line of Jews and officers. His father was then sent to Mauthausen concentration camp, where he was forced into slave labor, which that's what that camp was known for is right. they would work they the would prisoners work to death. Yeah. Uh, and Roman was able to escape the ghetto and he stayed in a rural area with a Roman Catholic family who actually kn- knew his father and they knew Roman, so they, they took him in. His new home was just 30 miles outside of Auschwitz, but he didn't know at the time and he actually didn't even know the extent of the atrocities right. until after the war oh, yeah, because that makes sense. he was like in hiding right. with this Roman Catholic family in the countryside. Well, did it wasn't I don't even think anyone really knew, right? Like 
I mean, the extent of it. They didn't know. Yeah. A lot of people. Yeah. Most people, unless you were an actual Nazi. Yeah. Like the soldier, you know, working in the camps. Didn't didn't know know. the extents of the Mm -hmm. horrors that were going on in these camps. Obviously, I'm, you know, a lot of people knew that things were Jews were being persecuted and had been for a long time. So, I mean, it was, it was already bad, but they didn't even know just how, just how bad it was. At this time, Roman was able to pass as a Catholic boy. So he didn't, he wasn't like, you know, home free living in this situation. He, at one point, they, you know, he had to fend for himself for a while. He was sort of like roaming the countryside and living like, you know, eating berries and shit and sort of running away from SS officers. Right. So he was not like, you know, always safe during this time. Yeah. When the war was over, Roman learned that his sister and his father had survived. He would eventually meet back up with his father, who told him of the horrific things that he had witnessed in the camps. One of the more chilling stories that Roman told in an interview was that he saw his father weeping as a German song called Oh Mein Papa played. Now, this song was played as the Nazis separated parents from their children. So years later, after the war has ended... Rome, like this song comes on and his father just immediately bursts into yeah. tears. When he was 14, Roman Polanski began acting in plays and later went on to act in films in Poland. In his 20s, he caught the directing bug, I guess. There's an acting bug. Is there a directing bug? Probably. Well, he caught it. Yeah. And he studied at the State School of Cinema in Lodz and he graduated in 1959. His films were creating buzz, winning him some awards. And in 1962, he directed his first feature, Knife in the Water, which went on to win Best Foreign Film at the Academy Awards. Oh, wow. I mean, that's pretty good. That's your first feature. In 1965, he directed the British film Repulsion. Love it. You love that movie? Mm -hmm. Seems like it's up your alley, honestly. (laughs) I'm not surprised. (laughs) It's really good. Which is a horror film starring Catherine Deneuve. And in the 2011 documentary, Roman Polanski, A Memoir, he remarked that this film was not something he was passionate about artistically, but he did it so that he knew it was going to help his career. Oh, really? Doing this film. Yeah. Oh. He's like not, he's like kind of embarrassed about this oh, film. Oh my God. He's like, it was a B movie. Yeah. I mean, I like it. This movie did help his career, and because of the success of Repulsion, it led to his next film, 1966's Cul-de-Sac, which was also successful. Yes. So he's obviously generating a lot of buzz right now as a director, and because of the success of Cul-de-Sac, Roman then signed on to direct the MGM film The Fearless Vampire Killers, starring Sharon Tate. Right. Now, Roman and Sharon met several times over dinner before filming began when while she was still they were still in negotiations about who was going to play the lead. Now, the studios really wanted Sharon Tate. She was this new rising star, and Roman Polanski was not into it. He like thought she was really hot and shit yeah. and cool, but he pictured someone totally different right. for this role. And he also felt that she was wasn't even experienced enough as an actress. And I looked up her like credits right. at that time, and I did see that she was on two episodes of Mr. Ed in 1963. 
I mean, she doesn't have a lot of credits. No. To, at all. Like, no. Like her whole had, career. <laughs> you're right. So, I mean, yeah. She had done yeah. some like bit parts and stuff. And she had a few movies. But, and a yeah. few movies, right. But it wasn't like a she was a seasoned actress, actress no. or anything. Um, but then I did start thinking about Mr. Ed and how I loved that show. I don't know. Really? Dude, I don't know why I thought that shit was so funny <laughs> when I was a kid. That is one I never watched. It's probably like up there for me with like Beverly Hillbillies. Like it was on all the time. Right. But I was like, you know what? <laughs> I got to draw the line <laughs> somewhere. Stupid. I probably did watch a Beverly Hillbillies more just yeah. because at some point that was on all the time. Right. But yeah, Mr. Ed, I just couldn't. <laughs> I remember telling my nieces about Mr. Ed once and they could not fucking stop laughing. They like did not believe me that that show existed. And I was like, yeah, because it's dumb as fucking shit. Like, it is so stupid. Like, how did you make a whole show of that? How was there like probably multiple seasons of that show? I honestly don't even think I've ever seen the episode, but obviously I know the fucking opening credits. I love that song. It's so funny. In the horse's mouth. It's like, because you know, they just put peanut butter in there. (laughs) And he's just like, with like a man's voice. Yeah, it is the most disturbing opening credits to any show ever. But yeah, my nieces were literally on the floor. They were like, don't say, they were like, stop doing it. Like, because I was imitating it or whatever. I do the voice. Well, hello, it's Mr. Ray. It's just like, I don't know. It's like, it's not even like how anyone would ever talk, but it's like someone's idea of what a horse sounds like. I have no idea. You like that show? I Dude, can't believe it. I mean, I was a little kid, but I thought that shit was so funny. Yeah, I don't know. And there's, it is really There's stupid. all those shows you watch when you're a kid that are like old TV shows yeah. that are just on TBS like 24 7. I don't or even something think like, kids today, but kids today don't have that because they all watch YouTube shit. Right. I feel no, bad for them. I do feel bad for them because those shows are hilarious. They are. They're so stupid. Yeah. Like I watched, I knew every single I Love Lucy episode by the time I was 10. Right. And I've watched every Brady Bunch like literally Same. five times Same. probably. <laughs> like, and I wasn't born in that era or it wasn't no. old enough for yeah, that I mean, era. Yeah, me either. Like, but, it was before my time too, but it was like those shows were on all the time. Yeah. Like Brady Bunch was on every day after school and I fucking watched it. And now they watch like, what's that guy with like the, with the orange or something? Maybe the that's like 10 orange. years ago. Yeah, that's already dated. <laughs> like, I don't even think he exists anymore. But yeah, that's funny. Like, I can't imagine what she was on Mr. Ed. Like, yeah. two episodes, it's like, was she a recurring character? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like a farm girl? Like, right. what the hell? Because it wasn't like any sex appeal on that show. No, like, no. So she probably was like covered up and like whatever. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to go watch some Mr. Ed on YouTube tonight. You have to watch those episodes. I'm going to watch those ones. Okay. Now let's go back to Sharon and Roman Polanski's dinner dates. They're trying to feel each other out. Yeah. She wants this part, obviously. MGM wants her to have this part, and he's skeptical. But during one dinner in particular, the two began warming up to each other. Sharon told Roman about her experiences with taking acid with her then-boyfriend, hairstylist to the stars, Jay Sebring. Now, Roman told her that he had done acid a few times, but he had had horrible trips. So she... I mean, that doesn't surprise me. It does not. Dude, why would you ever open up those doors? <laughs> this man literally was survived the Holocaust. Yeah. You don't have to relive. You don't need to take acid. Seriously. No, I'm sorry. So she convinced him that they should go back to her flat in London and take some acid together. And she's like, we'll have a good time. I promise. Okay. Now... According to the book, Sharon Tate and the Manson Murders by Greg King, during their trip together, Roman put on a Frankenstein mask and snuck up behind Sharon, and she flipped the fuck out. 
because he snuck up behind her wearing a Frankenstein mask during this acid trip. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I would be so upset if that happened to me. I mean, in his defense, he was tripping. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, he might have thought it was hilarious. He probably thought it was really funny. Yeah. Right. But like, I don't like when people uh, startle me in any way. Or play pranks. In general, I don't like pranks. it's bad. Don't play pranks a or like prank. scaring people. Yeah. yeah. She flipped out. She ran back to her own apartment, and that was the end of that night. However, according to Roman's 1984 memoir, which came out before this book, he said that that night did not go down like that at all. In fact, they ended up making love. <laughs> I That's, knew that they were going to make love. <laughs> he said, make, "He said making love." <laughs> However, in an interview with the police in 1969, which was, what, 15 years before his memoir, he said that they did not sleep together until they had known each other for several months, which I honestly think is probably the truth. Really? Well, Sharon was still in a relationship with oh, Jay right, Sebring right, right. at that point. So she might have been. She wasn't a bad girl, like yeah. she, or she wasn't like a necessarily a promiscuous girl or known for being cheating or whatever. And yeah, I forgot she was in a relationship. Yeah. So she wasn't like sleeping around on him. That wasn't like something she was known for. Well, the fact that they were still friends after the breakup probably indicates that that's true too. Yes. So I think, I don't know, maybe he just embellished that for his memoir, whatever. Now, according to the book, Sharon Tate and the Manson murders, Sharon was mad at Roman for a little bit after the Frankenstein mask incident, and she blew him off the next several times that he tried to contact her. One time she picked up the phone and just said, listen, fuck you. <laughs> Which I feel like is a great way to pick up the phone. Yeah. I would love to That's do that. That's a good catchphrase. Yeah. Now, at this time, Roman was still unconvinced that Sharon Tate was right for the role in the Fearless Vampire Killers. <laughs> but when filming began, she went on to prove him wrong. Like... I mean, they, I've like heard him talk about this so many times in so many different interviews where he's like, she put on the red wig and it was like, oh my God, you're right for the role. Right. I mean, I love that how seriously he was taking the casting for this movie. I'm sorry. Well, this movie's fucking ridiculous. I know. That's what's like so hilarious. It's, it's like, you're not doing like fucking Romeo and Juliet or some no, like Shakespeare thing. It's like a seriously. Movie. Yeah. I mean, it's insane. And he's also in this movie too. Right. I love this movie. Yeah. It's, it's goofy. But he was basically like, as soon as she put, as soon as she puts that red wig on, yeah, I can't do a Roman Polanski accent. Uh, yeah, because I was like, "What is that?" <laughs> <laughs> it's French, right? He's that, he's French Polish. <laughs> I guess I don't really think of him as having a z z z. Yeah, he kind of. He sounds does. like Pepe Le Pew. <laughs> Roman was a difficult director to work with. He was very demanding. Yes. He often insisted, you know, dozens of takes just to get one stupid fucking thing right. Ugh. Again, this that's is, what always irritates me when I hear stories like this because I was like, I would be like over it so yeah. fast. Like, there's no way. He's like a Kubrick slash James Cameron in this way, right. I guess. Right. Like, yeah. where you hear these stories like, oh, they're difficult to work with, but they're geniuses. Yeah. And it's like a brutal conditions to yeah. just do take after take after and imagine take, yeah. like breaking yourself and falling to pieces because of a spoof movie yeah <laughs> like at yeah, least at least if like the finished product is it's like an oscar winning is the shining yeah. Yeah. or titanic <laughs> you know you, you're nominated for awards and stuff yeah it's like more worth it you're like sure. okay i broke my fucking back yeah. to do this work i was in ice water for hours yeah <laughs> did you know that someone dosed the the set with, oh, um, on Titanic? Yeah, with LSD. Or no. maybe it was PCP. No. Yeah. 
Like dose. What do you mean? They dose, dose the, the food. Like oh, they, the food. There was a, they were having like lobster bisque, and they dosed the, and Damn. somebody dosed it, That's and like up. everyone got sick. That's really fucked up. Yeah, don't dose people Especially, unless they want to be dosed. Dude, don't. I love that they had lobster soup. <laughs> It's like I've never seen that at craft services. No, I have never seen that <laughs> Lobster either. Lobster bisque, it seems suspicious. <laughs> must be dosed. <laughs> so, okay. Back to the fearless vampire killers. He was a perfectionist. One time they, like... Sharon was on the verge of tears because like she just could not get this one thing right for him. Right. And it was like literally 70 takes he Ugh. had her do for this one thing. But the more time she spent with Roman and the longer she was away on set away from J.C. Bring, the more she fell in love with Roman. Right. And she fell in love with this guy, and he fell in love with her. This is a quote from Sharon Tate on Roman Polanski. It's difficult to describe Roman. He's, well, the first thing you notice about him is him. No bits or pieces. He just comes at you in one dynamic blast. If I had to break it down, he's very sympathetic, very sensitive, very intelligent, very understanding, and a combination of explosives. He's a very strong man. I mean, mentally. Because physical looks and that stuff don't mean too much to me. (laughs) (laughs) I would say that Roman is interesting looking. And you don't dwell dwell any further on that because of the kind of person he is. Jesus. I mean, talk about your nags. <laughs> that is like such That's an intense That's like an OG nag. nag. Yeah. Jesus. She's like, he has a great personality. Yeah. Look, I don't focus too much on his looks. <laughs> <laughs> and like Roman is one of those guys that like he only pulls hot chicks. Yes. And he is not like a hot guy. Yeah. I mean, he isn't like traditionally hot, but I can see how you'd find him attractive. I can see how you'd find him attractive in terms of like everything combined that he's so talented. Like I do think she's right, even though it does come off as a nag. Right. <laughs> like I would never publicly say those things about my boyfriend or husband. No, but yeah, I mean, she's absolutely right. I mean, we've talked about a million times together about how like we have to be attracted to someone to be with them. Right. Like even if they're not conventionally attractive. There's something that's drawing There's you. something yeah. that's attractive mm-hmm. to you about them. Now this is a quote from Roman on Sharon. I'd had bad experiences and I didn't believe that people like that existed. And I was waiting a long time for her to show her color. But she was beautiful without this phoniness. She was fantastic. She loved me. She was a fucking angel. I was living in a different house. I didn't want her to come to my house. And she would say, I don't want to smother you. I only want to be with you. And I said, you know how I am. I screw around. And she said, I don't want to change you. She was ready to do everything just to be with me. So that being said, Roman was fucking around on Sharon all the time. He was known for being a bit of a womanizer. He was always fucking chicks, yeah. like just one night stands and stuff and having these little side things going on. And in the beginning, you know, Sharon knew about that and she, I guess, allegedly told him, yeah, I'm okay with that Right in the beginning. I'm sure that she wasn't always okay with that. Right. If she was ever. Or you maybe say that theoretically, but then when you find out about it, yes. do you know what I mean? Like Exactly. Yeah. So Sharon moved into Roman's London flat. According to Roman, quote, we started this very happy period of my life, which unfortunately lasted not very long. The couple were married in January of 1968 in London. And I have to say, 
Sharon Tate's wedding look is one of my favorite wedding looks of I all love time. It. It's so cute. It's like the best. Like I can't even think of like off the top of my head like a better wedding. That's look That's the type than of that. wedding dress I would have. Same. Just like a little and that hair. One. Yeah, it's so cute. Like the little like flowers in her hair, right? And the like simple chic. Yeah, it's like a dress, dress. you would wear. Yeah, <laughs> like it's just a cute dress. It's yeah. such a good look. Yeah, she had some Love great it. looks. Yeah, and he like wore this ridiculous late sixties velvet suit. Right. Like it's whatever. Nice. I love it. But I love the whole aesthetic of their wedding. Is like amazing. Now that same year was the year that one of Roman Polanski's biggest films was released. Desi's favorite, yes. Rosemary's Baby. Now this is the film that made Roman Polanski a superstar. Yeah. Roman and Sharon had moved to Los Angeles together around this time, at first to a big home in Santa Monica before eventually settling into their home in Hollywood on Cielo Drive. Sharon became pregnant in early 1969. She didn't tell Roman at first. She knew that pregnancy reminded him of tragedy in his life, specifically the baby that his mother lost when she was murdered in the Holocaust. Sharon ended up telling her ex and now friend Jay Sebring about the news, who then went on to tell Sharon's parents. So Sharon Tate is still close friends with Jay Sebring right. at this point. And it's fine. Like they have like this platonic relationship. It's not like a problem or anything. In March of 1969, Sharon left Los Angeles for Rome to shoot the movie 13 Chairs. Roman was to meet up with Sharon in Europe, and both would be gone until the middle of the summer. They subletted their home on Cielo Drive to Roman's friend, Wojtek Fryowski, and his girlfriend, Abigail Folger, the heiress to Folger's Coffee. Sadly, while the couple was staying at the Polanski's house, Wojtek ran over Sharon's dog. Oh. Do you know that? Yeah, I did hear this. It was a Yorkshire Terrier named Dr. Saperstein. I know. I got really sad. That's funny that they named it after the doctor from the movie. Because I just got to the Sopranos episode last night where fucking Christopher sat on the dog. Dude, that is a brutal scene. (laughs) Like, it's unintentionally, like, I mean, it's sort of hilarious and it's absurdity, but it's so awful. Like, it's so awful that he's just sitting on the, the dog. The only like, dog crushing scene in a movie that's funny is in one of my favorite movies, Crooklyn. Oh, where like I don't her aunt it. sits on, or the the dog is like stuck in the couch. Oh my god, Queenie. Oh my god. Yeah, it's yeah. actually a funny scene. It's like yeah. played for comedy. But no, that scene is insane. But the one in The Sopranos, I was actually watching it last night, and I was like. I like turned to Brendan and I just looked at him. I said, I'm really upset right now. <laughs> Cause it's so you don't, it's out of nowhere. Yeah. First of all. Right. And it's just, yeah. I and mean. she's like, Christopher, that was my dog. <laughs> yeah. It's such an insane scene. It's so insane. Okay. Anyway, back to Dr. Sapper scene. That was really sad. Roman actually ended up buying her a new Yorkshire terrier right. after that. So yeah. And then like, his friend Wojtek Fryowski has to call London or Ugh, wherever awful. Roman is and be like, Hey, I ran over your wife's dog. Yeah. I'm awful. sorry. Okay. Now Sharon left London in July ish, like the end of July, she headed back for Los Angeles and she was eight months pregnant. So because she was eight months pregnant, she couldn't take an airplane. They wouldn't let her get aboard an airplane. So she had to take a ship back. Jesus. Yeah. Roman stayed behind in London to finish work. 
They were scheduled to travel back to L.A. together, but Roman changed his mind at the last minute. And Sharon was not happy about that. Like, right. she just wanted to get back to L.A. with her husband. Right. She's she, about to give birth. Yeah, yeah. But he's staying behind. He's like, I'll only be gone, like, a few more days or another week. Yeah. Like, I'll be back soon. So Sharon traveled by ship, and I guess she had to, like, go sail to New York, and then she must have had to, like, take a train or drive to... That is insane to me. Like, yeah, they wouldn't let her get on a plane. That's really weird. Isn't that wild? Well, you can give birth on a plane. I'm (laughs) I'm just saying, like, it's not like you need medical. You know what I mean? Like, what, what, why would a ship be any different? You'd be stuck on a ship for much longer. Haven't you heard that, though, that you can't, or maybe it was like in the olden days. I I don't think that's the case anymore. But don't you remember that was like a thing, like you couldn't fly at certain months pregnant? I honestly don't know it. Like, uh, I guess, but like, it seems like just a few hours, like right. whatever, seven or eight hours. Maybe something with Even if you pressure. start going in labor. Oh, maybe. I, I I don't know. But it just seems like crazy to me. Yeah. But unless there's a medical reason. That is like a long journey. That's That, that just seems more traumatizing to me totally. <laughs> than like a plane ride. Dude. But like also she chose to go over there knowing she probably wouldn't get to go back. Do you know what I mean? Like Right. Like she didn't give birth in London. Well, or stay you would think when she planned the trip. That she would have been like, oh, wait, but they're not going to let me fly back if I'm eight months pregnant or whatever the cutoff was. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know. know. It's interesting. Okay. So as Sharon boarded the Queen Elizabeth II for America, it was the last time that Roman Polanski would ever see her. On the evening of Friday, August 8th, 1969, Roman phoned Sharon from London, letting her know that he would be back in L.A. on Tuesday. That night, he went out with his friend, Victor Lowndes. He was uh, he ran the Playboy Clubs in Europe, which Roman loved, frequented. loved <laughs> frequenting those Playboy Clubs, as well as Europe's Playboy Enterprises. They went out for dinner and drinks, according to Victor. Also, according to Victor, Roman went home with a, quote, bimbo that night. Ooh. Yeah, so your wife's literally going to pop in two weeks. And, you're, yeah. and you just got off the phone with her. What right. the fuck, man? Come on. The next morning, August 9th, 1969, Sharon Tate, Jay Sebring, Abigail, For- Abigail Folger, Wojtek Fryowski, and Stephen Parent were found murdered at the Cielo Drive home. At the time of the murders, Sharon Tate was eight and a half months pregnant with her and Roman Polanski's child. Sharon was just 26 years old. It was William Tennant, Roman's manager, who called him from L.A. to inform him that his wife and unborn child, among four others, had been murdered at his home. Obviously, Roman fucking lost it at this point. Right. And, I mean, how do you even react to that? Like, he couldn't believe it at first when they told him. It must be shocking. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I mean, without everything else that's happened in his life. Do you know what I mean? Like, I mean, and just... Not only, it's not like, oh, your wife got into a car accident, which is horrific. Right. It's your wife and four other people and your unborn child were all horrifically, brutally murdered. In your home. In your home. And we don't know who it was. And it was totally random. It seems totally random at this point. And it, I mean. It's also a worldwide news story, which must up it a million times too. He had to be heavily sedated. Uh, He flew back to Los Angeles the very next day. And immediately upon arrival at... The airport, he was hounded by the press, you know, just yeah. the moment he got off that Jesus. plane. I mean, that, that, I think about that all the time when, like, 
someone in the news or like a celebrity has like gone through a personal tragedy yeah and you just have like the press in your face like i don't know how people hold it together it's so yeah they're such vultures yeah it's pretty gross so they were hounding him later that week on thursday a funeral service was held for sharon among the stars in attendance were peter sellers warren Beatty, and kirk douglas I think about like her being pregnant and them having a child together. He was so reluctant to have a family, have a family yeah. because he saw his own family be completely ripped apart right. in the Holocaust. And he was probably afraid to hope for that. Yes, yeah. and then imagine the absolute worst case scenario. And happens. Then yeah, it's yeah. like his worst fear came true. Yes. Now. He did continue working to great success. Obviously, in 1974, Chinatown came out, and that was a huge was huge. Yeah. It's one of his famous, most famous movies. It was nominated for 11 Academy Awards. It took home a win for best screenplay. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I've had a really stressful year with work and family stuff, and I know I'm not alone when I say I tend to push that stress down in order to get what I need done, done, and that only makes things worse. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. In the past, therapy has helped me navigate many situations from helping me to set boundaries to just becoming the best version of myself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I love that it's entirely online, so it's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash HCS today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash HCS. 
1977, 13-year-old Samantha Jane Gailey was a young aspiring actress and model living in Los Angeles with her mother, her stepfather, and her sister Kim. Her mother and stepfather were also actors. They had met doing an off-Broadway show in New York, and Samantha's mother had done some commercial work. In her book, The Girl, A Life in the Shadow of Roman Polanski, Samantha talks about the changing attitudes towards sex in the 70s, as well as the way that young girls were sexualized during that time period. She cited Jodie Foster and Taxi Driver, who was 12 years old in that role, and Brooke Shields, who was in Pretty Baby. Right. She was like 11 or something. Right. And she was... Playing a prostitute, basically. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, of course, Brooke Shields in the Calvin Klein campaign. Yes. So... I thought it was interesting. That's something I didn't even really think about how like, I mean, women have been, young women have been sexualized in the media my whole life, but I was, it was interesting to like see all these examples specifically in the 1970s. Yeah. Where it was like, well, we've, we've posted something, I think, or you and I have shared it at least the loves baby soft. Yes. Like, yeah, and it's like it's sort of tongue in cheek. It's one of those things where it's like, yeah, you're being tongue in cheek, but you're also sexualizing a girl, well, ironically, or whatever. Like, yeah, like the Love's Baby Soft. For those of you who don't know, Love's Baby Soft. They, I think they still make it, but it was like really popular in the '70s and '80s. It's yeah. like a drugstore perfume, and it smells like baby powder. Yeah, but their whole ad campaign back then was like literally like a. Innocence is sexy. A prepubescent girl with a ton of makeup on, like a John Bonet look almost. And it would sit, and like the tagline was, Innocence is sexier than you think. Yeah. Which is so fucking creepy. But it's also like Dazzy and I have shared that ad with each other so many times because it's so absurd, like that that got made. Yeah. It's just so insane. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that was a period where that, even the songs, they're talking about fucking young girls, like no one gets us. Our right. love, or whatever. <laughs> it's like I mean, we're laughing, but it's so crazy. And I yeah. do feel like it was more subtle. Like I don't think it disappeared for a very long time. Like no. even in the nineties, I do feel like remember when CK One ads were oh, like yeah. totally criticized because they were made to look child like porn, child porn almost. Like in the mid nineties, Calvin Klein had this string of. Like they had this ad campaign that was specifically meant to look like it was in like some gross stepdad's basement with like a brown carpet and like wood paneling. Yeah. And these emaciated, really young looking models looking kind of guilty and scared. Right. Like, and it was, I mean, they were criticized then, but the fact that it even got made, I don't think they would get made today. No. Yeah. I think people will have like a look, I mean, people still do some whack ass shit. Right. But I do feel like it's more. They're a little more conscious. Yeah. People are maybe a little more conscious. A little more, for sure. Like my era, like the famous sexualizing of like a young girl was Britney Spears, obviously. Right. That was like. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. and I I mean, it's a porn trope. (laughs) Like yeah, the school girl, we all know, right? But come yeah, the, the, when it crosses into the mainstream, it's it's more like, hey, this is supposed to be like you know underground shit or whatever. Like, <laughs> right? I don't know, but like, it was definitely in the seventies. I mean, we're gonna get into it, yes. But it's like all of your faves did something you probably would be horrified by. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, Desi and I were talking about that at the gym last week about just how many rock stars. And famous people in the seventies like have there are these stories about them fucking yeah. underage right. women and they're not really talked about and they weren't like big scandals necessarily at the time. No. 
yeah. like groupies and stuff, yeah. you know? Okay. Oh, I, I thought she was 18. I mean, there's a reason that's like a joke, <laughs> right. <laughs> right? Like, or not right. a joke, but yeah. So, I mean, but it's, what we're saying is it's like, it's, it's, it's a really, problem. It's a problem. And it's horrific to look back and think that that was sort of low key some, acceptable. Some people <laughs> thought that that was acceptable. Okay. So Samantha's mother was invited to a party at top of the rocks on sunset. It was a star studded affair. It was there that she met Roman Polanski. Now, Roman was a friend of her eldest daughter's boyfriend. Okay. And her eldest daughter's boyfriend recommended Samantha Jane Gailey for an upcoming photo shoot he was doing. So Was he, he in photography now? <laughs> like, well, like, he's a director. I so guess, he was okay. like shooting some he had, he was shooting stuff for Vogue. Like I'm gonna talk okay. about one of his photo shoots okay. he did. So he was doing like some fashion photography okay. stuff. Polanski met the mom at this party and in the in her book Samantha remembers uh, that the mom told her that he made a quote slightly off color joke involving tiger balm and sex <laughs> I'm dying <laughs> to know that joke yeah I mean do you have you ever done anything with tiger balm of course yeah it's really spicy yeah it's spicy <laughs> so I am curious to know too. I want to know what the joke is when you put it in your anus Seriously? it's spicy did you put it in your anus no oh. I'm just <laughs> I'm trying to think of what the joke was. Right. Yeah. Because, I mean, who knows? Right. I've only done very basic things with I it. I put it on my shoulders. Oh, you did? Okay. Well, yeah. Isn't it for like I guess. sore muscles? But I, might, I thought we were talking about like sexual uses. You've done stuff with it sexually? Um, well, I put it on my nipples. <laughs> Dude, I love learning shit about you on this show. <laughs> Rawr. <laughs> Tiger bomb. Rawr. Rawr. Okay. Okay. We're going to get back to they that. They were another. sore. <laughs> oh, you bit my nipples so hard. I got to put My this- muscles are sore. Oh, so relieved. The tension is gone. <laughs> okay. A few weeks later, Samantha was invited to do a photo shoot for Vogue Paris by Roman Polanski. That was the project that he was working on. And how did he, She was she like, oh, my daughter is a model? No, it was. Did he meet her that night? No, he okay. met her because I said before, I already said this, oh. the, uh, but maybe it wasn't clear. Uh, Roman was friends with Samantha's oldest right. sister's boyfriend. But how did he know about Samantha? Because... The older boyfriend of her, the boyfriend of her sister recommended Samantha, Samantha for this project he was working okay. on. And yeah, okay. So then the mom and him mingled at this party and they it. talked about it and they set up this meeting. And was she an actor or a model? Yes. Okay. The daughter was, she did like, she had done local commercials back right. in Pennsylvania where she's originally from. She, uh, she actually was up for the role, uh, the lead role in Freaky Friday. Oh, so she, well, she has a similar look to that because she yes. isn't very like she's, she's a tomboy. like very tomboyish looking she girl, like a Jodie Foster. She type. looks a lot like Jodie Foster. Um, so he's like, yeah, let's do this Vogue shoot with your daughter. Now, okay. the concept for the shoot was to showcase the difference between French and American girls. So Roman sat down with Samantha and her parents one day and showed them a photo shoot that he had done with a then 14-year-old Nastasia Kinski for French Vogue. Now, I looked at these photos, and it was like a pirate, like a sexy pirate on the right. beach theme. They went to the Seychelles, to Seychelles which is like mm-hmm. one of my vacation dream destinations. Yeah. 
and they shot this like photo shoot with you know Nastasia Kinski. She's fourteen years old. She's like v- this very alluring like pirate wench lady in right. this like gold gown. But then there's also some more sexier yeah. pictures of her. Samantha noted that Roman looked like a ferret, but <laughs> she knew that he was famous and powerful, and she saw the way that her mom and step. And she saw the way that her mom and stepdad were in awe flipping through all of these photos that right. he had done. Like these. Like, so a child is very perceptive. Like my parents want me to impress this guy. Kind yes. Of thing. Like he's a big deal. Yeah. He kind of looks like a ferret, but I know he's like really famous and successful. And like she even had said, like, I saw Chinatown. I didn't like it. I mean, to be fair, right. she was 13 yeah. years old. She's not like, a I, kid movie. Yeah. She's like, but I knew he was a big deal. Yeah. She was really into the bad news bears, which made me think about Aww. you. Yeah. A few days later, when Roman picked up Samantha for the photo shoot, her mother asked if she should come along. Roman said no. Samantha drove up into the hills with him to do some test shots while it was still light out. She brought two different tops to wear. She remembered turning around to change into the second top and hearing clicks of the camera behind her as she changed, which she thought was weird because she's like, I'm not posing right now. Right. That's creepy. Why are there clicks going off and I'm trying to change my top? Roman told her that this wasn't exactly working. So Samantha tried to act sexier. And she's get feeling really insecure at this point. She's worried that she's disappointing this big yeah. famous director. She's not getting it right. She doesn't have... Uh, she's not Nastasha Kinski, like a she, sexy... Right, yeah. exactly. What does he want with me? Why are we... like? She's not feeling so secure about herself. So she's trying to act a little sexier for him to be more mature to yeah. present herself this way. I mean, Samantha really was this all-American tomboy girl. She, and she was her age. Nastasha Kinski was much older seeming. Do yes. you know what I mean? She had that more modely look. Yeah. And, yeah. Like and just like that kind of darker vibe. Yeah, yeah, like she definitely they played like she presented herself as older than 14. Yeah, exactly. Whether or not that... We're not we're not putting judgment on that. We're just saying how it was yeah. with her. Okay. Roman then asked Samantha to take her top off. And Ugh. she agreed, figuring that these photos would never make it to the magazine. This was just a test shoot. Right. And this is obviously some fashion thing. You know, yeah. models are naked in French Vogue. Right. So she took her top off and... Samantha remembers at this point as he's snapping away and she's standing there topless, like with her hand on her hips. They're outside, by the way. Right. They're on a hill. There was a guy on a dirt bike who passed by. She just stood there topless. And when the light was gone, Roman drove Samantha back to her house in the valley. On March 10th, 1977, Roman returned to Samantha's home to pick her up for their second photo shoot. Samantha asked if her friend Terry could come along, but Roman told her that the shoot would take a pretty long time and Terry had to be home by a certain hour. So that didn't pan out. Samantha remembers being nervous, but really excited. Their first stop was at Jacqueline Bissett's house. (laughs) They snapped a few photos at her house and Jacqueline offered Samantha wine. And later on, Jacqueline Bissett said that she had no idea that Samantha was only 13. I mean, this is like so 70s to have an appearance by Jacqueline Bissett. <laughs> like, this, this whole description of like this whole day is so 70s. Yeah. It's like 
Also, I just find that really hard to believe because if you see pictures of this girl, she's clearly like someone who is very young. Like this is not someone you would mistake for being older, in my opinion. Not at all. Yeah, especially if she's not made up in some way. Right. And she's not because I've seen the photos from that day. She looks so young. I just find it hard to believe. Yes. But everyone's probably fucking on Quaaludes. (laughs) Hold on, we're going to get there. (laughs) (laughs) So... Now, Roman and Samantha next headed to their second location, Jack Nicholson's house. On the way up there, Roman began to ask Samantha some more personal questions. Did she have a boyfriend? Had she ever had sex before? Samantha lied to Roman and said that, yes, she had a boyfriend, even though they had just broken up. And she also told him that she had had sex twice before, even though she'd only had sex once, but okay. she wanted to see more mature right. and more worldly. Well, like, there's to him. something really sad about her making it twice. Like, do you know what I Dude, mean? Like, that's like when I lied to an older guy when I was 14 that I was actually 15. Like, that right. would make there's it better. Sad about like saying like twice. Like, that would make you much more experienced than once or something. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like, right. it just shows how innocent though she like wanted to impress, but not lie too much. Like, right. it's such a kid thing to do. Totally. It's really sad. Totally. So. When they got to the house, Jack wasn't there. He was out of town. They were greeted at the door by his housekeeper, Helen. Roman asked Samantha if she was thirsty. He opened the fridge and he found a bottle of champagne. Helen, the housekeeper, left. They started shooting. Samantha was just at this point posing with her glass of champagne. She hadn't had any of it yet. He then asked Samantha to take her top off. And she did, at first assuming he was going to be taking these photos insinuating nudity. Like, oh, maybe he's just taking these... From the shoulders up or something. Yes. So she took her top off. Samantha asked Roman if she should pretend to sip the champagne. And he said, no, you should actually drink the champagne for these photos. So she drank the champagne. And when she finished her glass, Roman refilled it and kept refilling it and kept refilling it. So... Who knows how many glasses of champagne she actually had this night. Then he suggested that they take some photos in the jacuzzi. By this point, Samantha was intoxicated, so she was like, yeah, sure, why not? And she was even enjoying herself at this point. She was actually feeling like, oh, I'm a grown-up. I'm feeling sensual and sexy now, and this is big deal, big girl stuff. And she's more confident. Yes. Yeah. This is my big break. Yeah. Now, before they got into the jacuzzi, Roman asked her if she wanted to call her mom to check in with her. So she did, and she told her mom that she's there alone with Roman and that she's fine. Roman then gets on the phone and tells Samantha's mom that they're up on Mulholland Drive at Jack Nicholson's house and that he'll bring her home when they're done with their photo shoot. Now, Samantha didn't have a bathing suit with her, so she undressed down to her underwear, and she didn't wear a bra at this point in her life. So... She was topless wearing underwear. She wrapped a towel around herself and figured that once she got into the jacuzzi, the bubbles would cover up her chest. Right. Now, Roman at this point presented her with a pill and it was a quaalude. Whoa. And at first, Samantha declined, but she eventually agreed, figuring, you know, 
Because he kept pushing her, like, do you right. want this? Are you sure you don't want it? Well, you know the feeling very well, I think most yes. girls do at that period, where you feel like you want to be more mature. And you want to yeah. say yes. You don't want to be yeah. a loser, a yeah. square. Especially, right. I can't even imagine the pressure. Like, I mean, young girls do this when the person pressuring them is just the coolest guy at their middle school. Right. You're imagine- in Jack Nicholson's house. Yeah. yeah. Like, you're. Yeah. I can't even imagine how hard that would have been to just outright yeah decline it so she did decline it first then he pushed her and she said okay so she took it with her champagne roman then asked samantha to take her underwear off now she was wary about this but she told herself that he probably had a good reason maybe he didn't want them to show underneath the water in the shot like for artistic purposes because they were darker underwear and aesthetically like okay he probably has a good reason for it and mind you she's fucked up at this point too i mean Quaaludes with a ton of champagne seems pretty <laughs> fucked. Like that would knock me out probably. And like a yeah. champagne drunk is like you get oh, fucked God. up. I get drunk off of like two glasses. I'm like, whoa, like right. It like instantly goes to your head. I haven't obviously I haven't had champagne in over a decade, but I do remember that champagne drunk was like a different level. Yeah. And then so he said that they were going in the hot tub to take pictures. Yes. Okay. He was gonna take pictures of her in the jacuzzi. Got it. He stopped taking the photos, and she was, like, wondering, why did he stop taking the pictures? I thought we were doing a photo shoot. And he's like, ah, this is no good. The lighting's not right. So he puts his camera down, and he gets into the water with her butt naked. Now. Dude, she must have been flipping out. That's so scary. Yeah, she was. Roman then told Samantha to come over to him. He wanted her to feel something. He took her by the waist and held her over the jets. Uh. Yeah. And this freaked her out. Yeah. Because she didn't know what to think at this point or what to feel at this point. Is this supposed to feel good? This is really fucking weird. Um, He asked her, you know, does this feel good? And she lied at this point and told him that she felt sick. She had asthma and she needed to get out of the hot tub. Right. So... He told her to go jump in the pool to go cool off. She did. She swam all the way away to the under, other end of the pool. She got out. She ran to the bathroom where she then put her underwear back on and sort of just enclosed herself in this bathroom to get away from Roman. Is this her account? Yes. Okay. This is all from her memoir. Okay. Which I recommend you read. Yeah. It's, it's good. Roman knocked on the door and asked her how she was feeling. Samantha said that she needed to go home so she could take her medicine. He said... I'll take you home soon. Then he led her in the other room and he told her to lie down. She said, no, I want to go home, but he wouldn't listen. This is a passage I'm going to read now from her book. If you don't want to hear descriptions of sexual abuse, I would fast forward a little bit. He holds my arms at my sides and kisses me. And I say, no, come on. But between the pill and the champagne, it's like my own voice is very far away. He's kissing my face and feeling my breasts, and he asks me again if I like it. Does it feel good? I say nothing, but he's a guy who makes movies, so I imagine he's filling in the dialogue for himself. You're making me do this, and now you want me to tell you I like it too? It's not like you're going to talk me into liking this. Then he goes down on me. I know what this is, of course, because I've read about it, but I've never actually had someone do it to me. He asks if it feels good, which it does, and that in it of itself is awful. I don't want this. My mind recoils, but my body is betraying me. And that's when I check out. I go far, far away. There is a sense of complete and utter emptiness. 
oh, just my body. I'm not really here. Okay, I see. Now, this description, this passage from Samantha's book is like so accurate. Yeah. A description about like when you go into this sort of freeze mode when you're being assaulted. Mm -hmm. Like some people fight, some people freeze up. And this is, for me, this was such a good, accurate description of that moment. Roman then proceeded to anally and vaginally rape Samantha. She just wanted it to be over. She was sort of just, at that point, she was lying frozen. Mm -hmm. I'll let him do whatever he wants to me at this point, so I don't have to fight it. Right. I mean, that's a very common thought, too, where you're like, let me just get this over with. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like, You always have a right to say no, obviously, so it's like, but you're just like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's common. The less I do, then the more, the quicker this will be done and I can leave. Like, yeah. Exactly. And she just wanted to get the hell out of there at that point. Suddenly, there was a knock at the door. Roman, are you in there? A woman's voice said. Now, it was a different woman than the housekeeper. It was Angelica Houston, who was Jack Nicholson's then girlfriend. Right. Roman said, we were just in the jacuzzi, you were getting dressed. And Roman told Angelica that they were taking pictures together. And Angelica says that at that time, she didn't think anything of it. I mean, how do you come upon that scene and not think anything of it? Like, I mean, truly, like, yeah. it's nighttime now, right? It's nighttime and there's like a young girl just Yeah, and they're dressed. like not letting you in the room like I feel like I've read slash heard different accounts of this that Angelica was horrified when it was going down I feel like I heard an interview with her though where it was kind of like it made me think "Ugh, I like you why are you telling me this like did do something recently where she was defending Roman Polanski in regards to this right so maybe that's what I'm thinking of yeah I was like I don't want you to say this yeah no I totally agree (laughs) because I love her I stand her but like this was she yeah she just apparently didn't think anything of it. Right. Samantha says that she remembers walking past Angelica on the way out of the house that night and that she just could not even look her in the eye. Like she was humiliated and felt so ashamed of herself. And I mean, I can't imagine. Immediately, Samantha began beating herself up about the incident. Obviously, she went through a lot of common emotions that uh, victims feel. She blamed herself for taking the quaalude, for even... Going there in the first right. place, she felt like, you know, this was something that she could have. She was so, st- yeah. oh, how could I be so stupid? You know, I should have known better. And when she got home, Samantha immediately ran into her bedroom where she called her ex boyfriend, Steve, sobbing. He came over and she told him, Roman made me have sex with him. According to Samantha's mom, when her daughter ran into her room after returning home, they invited Roman inside. So this is happening before the boyfriend came over. Like Samantha immediately runs to her room and they're like, oh, Roman, how'd the shoot go? Come inside. Like, and he comes inside. He brings a joint. They, they share a joint together, right. Roman with the parents. And he's like, oh, do you want to see the shots from our first test shoot that we did? I got them. Like, I have them. So they're like, yeah, let's look at them. So they're flipping through the photos of the ones they took on the hill. And he's just casually showing these to her parents and the sister. And then come the topless photos. Oh, he left those in? I'm sorry. Yes. Jesus he Christ. left those in. And one thing that was chilling is as they were looking through the photos, Samantha's mom recalls 
sort of being alarmed at how shitty the quality of the photos were in the first place. Oh, God. Like, yeah. Yeah, this is even before the topless photos. She's like, right, she's they're like, just... These look like shit. Yeah. Yeah. These look terrible. You're a famous photographer, director guy. Like, why are these blurry? Why? Why? She's not even looking at you in that. Like, she's not. What is this? And then there's the topless photos. And that's when she knew, oh, my God, this is something sinister. Yeah. This is not okay. Uh, So the parents are pissed and they asked him to leave. Wow. Like, they're like, get out of here. Now, they were freaking out at this point. They didn't even know the half of what had just happened to their 13-year-old daughter. They were just pissed about the topless photos. Yeah. Later, Samantha's older sister, Kim, went to go check in on her sister. Now, at this point, Samantha is in her bedroom talking to her ex-boyfriend, Steve, who's come over to console her because she called him up crying. And Kim doesn't open the door, but she overhears her sister telling Steve about what had just happened. So Samantha's sister, Kim, ran back to her parents and said, he fucked her mom. That night, Samantha's mom sat by her side consoling her daughter. And she was not the woman the press would later make out to be a stage mother who deliberately put her daughter in harm's way to further their careers. That night, Samantha's mom called the police to report the rape. And Samantha told the police everything. Roman Polanski was arrested on Friday, March 11th and released on $2,500 bail. The police searched Jack Nicholson and Angelica Houston's home where they found a small amount of cocaine belonging to Angelica. So she was arrested for drug possession but released on bail. Roman was indicted on one count of providing drugs to a minor and five counts of sexual abuse. He pled not guilty. Now, Roman's lawyer requested an inquiry into Samantha's sexual history as well as a psych evaluation to be done as a means to discredit her, but thankfully his request was denied. There actually had been a law that was passed in 1975 in California where you couldn't bring prior sexual history into that, but he he knew that, but he tried tried it anyway. He tried to get her discredited, like, oh, she was a sexual Lolita. Yeah. you know, seducing my client, whatever. Angelica Houston agreed to testify against Roman Polanski in exchange for her cocaine possession charge being dropped. Now, the trial was set for June. Roman ended up accepting a plea deal in exchange for a lesser charge of unlawful sexual intercourse. So, like, five of these other charges... What is unlawful sexual intercourse? Because he had sex with a minor. So that's sex with a minor? That's what they call it? Yes. Oh, my God. I don't like that term. No, it's like very, like, it's like such a whitewashing what it is. In October, Roman was allowed to fly to Europe where he was prepping for his next film, Hurricane. Paparazzi captured a photo of Roman at Oktoberfest in Germany, surrounded by beer and young girls. The judge ordered him to come home right away because that, like, made the press. They're like, look, he's just living it up. Yeah. He's not even working. He's at Oktoberfest with these, like, young girls. I mean, he doesn't seem like he thinks he did anything wrong. Like from the topless, showing the parents the topless no, photos. No, I like, really don't think he thinks he did I anything wrong. I don't either. Wrong. Like, I really yeah. don't. So in December, he was ordered to undergo a 90-day psych evaluation at Chino State Prison, where he would remain incarcerated for that evaluation. Now, during this time, Roman was fired from directing the movie Hurricane. And in January, he was released after just 42 days. Now, while he was awaiting sentencing, his lawyer 
you know, informed him that his sentence could be anything from probation to 50 years in prison. Right. And on February 1st, 1978, Roman Polanski fled to, fled to London. He was afraid of jail time, so he just dipped. Yeah. Like, he's like, I'm going to get this jail I mean, it's unbelievable he was out on bail, considering how wealthy he was and all the connections he had in Europe. And And he's a citizen. He has French citizenship, too. And also homes in Europe. Right. Yeah. He was let out. So he then traveled to France, where he had citizenship, like I just said, and he could avoid extradition back to the United States. This is a new quote I had never heard before, and it's pretty alarming. This is from 1979. Roman gave an interview that appeared in Tatler magazine where he said this. If I had killed somebody, it wouldn't have so much appeal to the press, you see, but fucking, you see, and the young girls. Judges want to fuck young girls. Juries want to fuck young girls. (laughs) Everyone wants to fuck young girls. Jesus. (laughs) Talk about not being... Fucking uh, humble about like or yeah, like, like not being ashamed of your crime. He's just so baffled. Yeah, he's like, what? Well, everyone like, wants to fuck young girls. It's crazy. Like, yeah, he has no shame yeah, in this at, it's at all. Now, Roman obviously has continued to make movies while in Europe. In 1979, his film Tess was released, and it starred Natasha Kinski, who, of course, he was rumored to be having an affair with. He's denied that they had an affair. She was obviously very young. I don't doubt that they had an affair. Dude, he <laughs> fucked everybody, it seems yeah, like. Yeah, and he already photographed her. When she was 14. Yeah, so it just seems highly unlikely. Yeah. I'm sorry. Now, he did end up dedicating the film Tess to Sharon Tate, and in 1988, his movie <laughs> Frantic was released starring Harrison Ford and Emmanuel Seigneur, a French actress he ended up marrying in 1989. And, of course, like we said before, 2002, the pianist won Adrian Brody an Oscar for Best Actor and Roman won Best Director. Right. Now, back to the 80s. In 1988, Samantha Jane Gailey filed a civil suit against Roman Polanski for sexual assault, false imprisonment, seduction of a minor, and intentional infliction of emotional distress. In 1993, an agreement in the amount of $500,000 restitution was reached, but according to a report in 2009, it was unclear if the money was ever actually paid to Samantha. Now, despite all of this... Samantha has long advocated for the charges against Roman Polanski to be dropped. She believes that his 42 days at Chino were enough and that the media and the court system did far more to damage her than Polanski ever did. In 2009, Samantha filed a petition to dismiss the case against Roman. In her declaration, she said this, I am no longer a 13-year-old child. I have dealt with the difficulties of being a victim, have surmounted and surpassed them with one exception. Every time this case is brought to the attention of the court, great focus is made of me, my family, my mother, and others. The attention is not pleasant to experience, and it is not worth maintaining over some irrelevant legal nicety, the continuation of the case. So she just wants this to be over and done with. She fucking hates every time this is like, brought up in the news or that, you know, I know that she said in her memoir, she was humiliated that even everyone knows the details of this. And obviously she wanted, you know, she's like, yeah, I'm I'm exposing myself by writing this memoir, but I need to get my 
side of the story, like in terms of how I feel about this whole thing and how it affected me. Like, and so I wanted to honor, like I read her book because I wanted to honor her voice in this story. Right. I feel like so. But the problem is she doesn't have the right to ask for charges to be dropped. Because once it's a it's a it's a case right. against a, it's a societal thing. Yes, like, yeah, exactly. you know what I mean. Like, right. But uh, I get where she's coming from. Right. But, she doesn't want to be involved in the legal right. stuff, and anymore. she's the main literally the main witness. Like, right. Yeah. In September 2009, Roman Polanski traveled to Switzerland to receive a Lifetime Achievement Award at the Zurich Film Festival. Upon arrival, he was detained by Swiss police in response to his outstanding warrant in the states. Now, Roman at this point was put on house arrest at his Swiss chalet in Stad while he waited for a decision on extradition. And I just, I just love that, like, this level of, like, like how rich people and famous people, like, like just, like, regular people shit just does not apply to him. Like, pe- right. most people would, like, get sent to, like, jail or something, but he's, like, sent, like house arrest on his fucking and a Swiss, Swiss chalet a Swiss chalet where he's like making fondue probably and like wearing a sweater why would he even leave where he is safe from extradition because he wanted to accept this lifetime achievement award <laughs> does he sorry. he gives no seems, fucks I feel like if you've gotten away with something you'd be like ah oh, I guess I'll just stay in France not right. the worst thing Dude. that can happen to you like seriously you're like, in like fucking France but that's what's so galling about him like I feel like I could be more like with Samantha, like if he was remotely remorseful for what happened. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, right. And I don't know. I don't know what that mentality is. I yeah. And like I. Watched- I mean, maybe he can't admit it to himself. You know, maybe it's too awful. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It's such a. But weird, it's weird because it seems a little brazen. Like there's some psychology going on here. Like, oh, totally. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know what, but... Absolutely. And, like, I mean, I respect Samantha's journey and whatever her Me opinions too. about I've, it, too. I've heard her speak on other things, and I think she's really grounded. Yeah. And, and I definitely feel like... See myself in her. Like, yeah. definitely the way I've handled things seems really similar. Right. And that's yeah. obviously not my experience. Her experience... Like, in terms yeah. of, like, how I... Oh, it's definitely... Yeah. How I was traumatized, whatever, right. with certain things that happened to me. But, like... I res- I have to respect that's her experience. Right. And you know what? She's allowed to have her experience Absolutely. with it. So the following year, Roman Polanski wrote an open letter alleging misconduct from the judge presiding over his case back in the 70s. Now, the judge had apparently been in contact with the district attor- attorney sharing information about the case and making decisions about okay. whether or not he was going to find him guilty. Right. So that's like hella illegal yeah. and shit. And because of this revelation, Switzerland decided not to extradite Roman back to the States, and he was released. Okay. So he's still in France, living in France, where he's been since the 70s, essentially. Like, he's, like, I think he's, like, traveled to Poland and stuff before. He has. He's, like, gone back to Poland. Um, But in May of 2018, Roman was expelled from the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. Do you remember that? Yes. I do. Because it was like right after all the Harvey Weinstein stuff. So they were like... Pre, like, I mean, it's a little uh, whatever at this point. It's like, come on, guys! You're just tr- this is like so P- a PR move. Yeah, and then I remember he was suing or something, right? He did sue yeah. them. He's like, that's embarrassing. He was like, Z- <laughs> fuck you. It's kind of like, come on, Z- who cares? How dare you? Like, is he still voting? Like, come on. <laughs> right. It's like really. It's like you know what? I don't really care if he's involved in the Academy of Science, Motion Picture Arts, whatever. Well, and it's also another galling 
behavior quirk on his part. Like, yeah, to think that any anyone feels remotely sympathetic towards that. Like, even if you weren't a rapist and you got kicked out of the academy for some reason, yeah. I literally couldn't care less. <laughs> like, right? It's like rich people problems. Totally like, rich people just, problems. Yeah. Who cares? Like, yeah. It's not a civil rights violation in no. my opinion that I'm no. going to get worked up about at all. No, I feel like you know what his life. At this point, like he has a ton of money. He lives in Europe with, he's still married to Emmanuel. Yeah. She's fucking gorgeous. Yeah. And they have two gorgeous children. Right. It's like, you, you know have what? it. Like, you fucking, you know what? It's like the I, you just don't have the icing. You just have the cake or something. Like, right. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's not enough for him. He wants to be that um, icon where he's treated like royalty, like right. movie royalty. But he majorly fucked up. You gotta admit that you fucked yeah, up. Like, like he did something really fucked up. It's interesting. I mean, his story, like I said before, like when we started this episode, I was so daunted by even touching the story just because it's there's so much to it. I mean, it's like I, I couldn't I didn't even have time to talk about the whole legal fucking thing he's been going through. Right. You know, details about it since uh like his time living in Europe. And just like, I mean, he's just a complex, like his story is so complex. There's, it's really complex. It's, there's a lot to it. And he suffered, yes, he is, this is a man who has suffered great personal tragedy in his life, you know, and also he's made a lot of beautiful art, but he's also a fucking sex pest. He's deeply fucked up. He's deeply fucked up. Like this is a broken and, person. And what he did was wrong. And I feel like everything about him is survival mode. Do you know totally. what I mean? And I feel like a lot of it is not even being able to admit to yourself and that's how you survive. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm not, it's not, um, you know, justifying anything. Right. But I'm saying, I feel like that's what he operas, operates with. Yeah. It's like flight or flight, right. fight or fight. Like, do right. you know what I mean? And obviously he flew, <laughs> like he <laughs> yeah. left, like right. he left the situation and I feel like he is so accustomed to being this victim because yeah. he was a victim. Right. He, right. So it is a natural state of being for him to feel oppressed or whatever. Like, yes. So, it, I mean, I feel like it is a one of a kind situation. Yeah. That who can say they've gone through the Holocaust and the brutal murder. The Manson the, murder. Yeah. Like, I mean, can you even imagine one of those things is literally life ruining? <laughs> like, right. So I can't even imagine. And then to have this crime that he committed. Right. How do you even process all of that? Right. There's only a few options and they're probably all really fucked up. Like, right. So I don't know. It's yeah. It's like definitely like I don't think anyone else can say they've been through these circumstances. <laughs> like, right. It's just out of, it's out of control. Right. But that's why it's kind of a fascinating case. It's a fascinating case. Um, yeah. And I wish he would, I wish he would like look into himself and like see what's going on. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And tell us like, yeah, what his process and be like, is. Roman, you have to admit that was pretty <laughs> fucked up. Like, I would love to know like his truth, like what is going on in his head. Right. I don't even know if he accepts it. Like, right. So I don't know. Really it's, interesting. It's really a, it's a sad life. Yeah. I mean, really it's a tra He has a very tragic story. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not saying, and like I said, like you said, he's both a victim and a predator at yeah. the same time, yeah. which is an interesting dynamic to look at. Right. And it's a hard dynamic to look at. Right. It's a difficult thing to talk about. Okay. So, that well, was a very I'm, good episode, I'm su- Rachel. I'm glad, you, I'm glad you suffered through <laughs> you. all the books and trauma. Mommy, did I do good? <laughs> 
It's such an interesting case. It is so interesting. So I'm glad we finally got to it. Yeah. We've been, people have been asking for yeah. that crime for a while. But of I'm course. glad we got to the early stuff too. So. Yeah. I think I was just like really exhausted because like I went down this whole Holocaust rabbit hole and like. Well, you can also see how there is a lot here There's that you so wanted to much. put in yeah. that you can't. Right. But right. yeah. So I'm going to lo- I would love to read these books when you're done. Yeah. Samantha's book is great. And uh, the other one is fascinating too. I, su- I suggest I'll, I'll post them on the Facebook page, the books that I read for this episode. Uh, I also read newspaper articles as well for this. So uh, there was like, it was a lot of research, but I'm, I'm glad that we got to share the story with you. Yeah. Uh, do we have anything to share? I don't think so. Just go to the Facebook group. Yeah. Hollywood Crime Scene Friends and then Instagram and Twitter. Yeah. You can follow us there. We'll post pics for sure yeah. of this episode. Right. Um, and that's it. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.